to be a train driver. As I grew older, I said I wanted to be a scientist. I had no idea what that meant. But then I advanced towards wanting to be a brain surgeon. And I had absolutely no idea what that meant. What do we want to be? What do we really want to be? However young we are, however old we are, who do we really want to be? Who do we want to be like? Some of us want to be successful. Uh, and uh, that may take all sorts of different things that uh, you know, be selected for the right team, be uh, in the right club, be wearing the right shoes. Or Successful is, a, is something all of us want, men perhaps more than ladies. Some of us would want to be beautiful. Well, you can see I've lost the, uh, I've lost all hope of that one. But some people want to be beautiful, and that's their desire to be beautiful. Some want a flawless family. No problems in my family. They might be over there, but not over here. To have a lovely home. Everything fits, everything in the right place. To be well thought of. You know, people, we want people to think well of us, but have prestige. Someone others look up to. We can all be tempted to have all that. To be respected. To be part of a big organization, big church, whatever it might be. It's interesting, isn't it? I, uh, I remember when I was young, uh, I liked Laurel and Hardy. Do you know who those are? Comedians, Laurel and Hardy, and uh, one of them is fat and the other one's thin. And the one I liked was the one who was fat. And it's strange really, because I grew up being overweight. <laughs> and it never worried me because he was fat, so I could be fat and that's not a problem. Interesting, isn't it, the impact it has, the heroes you choose, the people you want to be like. Who do we really want to be? It's interesting, when you see Dragon's Den on the telly, everyone wants to be a millionaire. Everyone wants to be like uh, Peter, whatever his name is, in the corner, or the lady in the middle, or the one. Who do we want to be like? Now, I know I'm laboring it, but the truth of the matter is, for all of us, that is so important. And deep down, we do think about people we want to be like. And I want to take you to a person we've just read about in Colossians, because I found him a great challenge. And I think for men and women alike, the way which he lives his life out is both a challenge and encouragement and a target to go for, to be like him. Uh, first of all, we need to say that he's a Christian. In Colossians and uh, right through the whole of Colossians, we find Paul rejoicing in who they are in Colossae. And uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us, We give thanks to the God of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. He rejoices in Colossae and in the church in Colossae because they're Christians. They've heard, people have heard of their faith. And he rejoices too in this person we're about to look at because he is first and foremost a Christian. He's first and foremost committed his life to the Lord Jesus. He's accepted that he is a failure, that he's part of a broken world and his life is a broken life. 
And yet the Lord Jesus Christ has come to forgive him by dying on the cross and bearing the punishment that he should have for his sin and failure. And then he's given him a new life in the Lord Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And first and foremost, he's a Christian then who owes everything to the Lord Jesus, who himself, the Lord Jesus, has given everything for him. And that's true of you and it's true for me that the Lord Jesus has given everything for us, for every one of us who want to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's forgiveness, there's cleansing, and there's a wonderful promise of eternal life. And yet down here too, a new life, a forgiven life, a fresh start. It's interesting, there's a video going around at the moment from a church in uh, just north of Newport. They had a baptismal service, I think last Sunday night. John Funnell's the pastor there, and there were 15 people baptised. And each of them shared their story, how their life had changed. The young, one of the youngest ones, who's one of John's children, said this, he said, I've never been in prison, and I've never taken drugs, <laughs> but the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven me, and I'm his, and I belong to him, and I have a new life. There was another guy who stood up and he said, I've been in prison, I've taken drugs, I've been deep in, in, uh, in alcohol uh, addiction, and yet God has come into my life and changed my life. There's another lady who's got her own particular problems, and uh, John read her testimony instead of her having to read it. It's wonderful to see these people born again, new life. And it's only down the road, isn't it? First and foremost, this person was a Christian, and that's the challenge for you and for me. Do we belong to the Lord Jesus? Have we put our trust in him? Have we known forgiveness and cleansing and a new life that he offers to us, unworthy as we are, because that's the wonderful promise of the Christian gospel, the Christian message. So, on to the person now. I don't know if you have worked out which one it is yet, but let me tell you about him. We can be sure that he's not famous in the sense of he's not in Hebrews chapter 11, the roll call of uh, the great and famous, godly, faithful people through the Bible. He's a nobody, just like you and just like me. Uh, he's mentioned a few times in the Bible, uh, but he comes from Turkey. Uh, we can't say a lot about his adventures, though we can say that on one particular time there was uh, a way in which he helped a very, very needy person who was in deep, deep trouble. But apart from that, very little is said about him in the Bible. But what is said is enough to make you think, hmm, <laughs> at least it did to me. <laughs> well, I'd love to be like him because he reflects what the Lord Jesus Christ is and was when he lived on this earth. So, he was happy to be second fiddle. It's interesting, isn't it? So many people are not very happy to be second fiddle, you know, they want to be up front and everything focused on them. He's ready to walk hundreds of miles, if not thousands of miles, to help people, to walk all those miles to help people. He's adaptable, Whatever came his way to do, he'd have a bash at doing it. He was humble. It wasn't about him. It was about the Lord. Everything in his life was about the Lord. Now here's an interesting one. He was the same on the inside as he was on the outside. There was integrity about him. 
He wasn't something in public and something in private. He wasn't something uh, to other people and inside he'd be quite the opposite. He wasn't peaceful on the outside and angry on the inside. There was integrity, same on the inside as he was on the outside. He'd do any job, whatever you asked him to do. He had a servant heart. And these days, such an important thing is to have a servant heart, isn't it? It's not necessarily the way the world works or thinks, but that's what he had. And if you met with him, he'd be interested in you. <laughs> it'd be a while before you suddenly realised he was asking questions about you, and you hadn't had a chance to ask him about anything, because he was interested in you, he wanted to encourage you. And when you, when you left him, you'd walk away feeling more confident more loved, you'd feel heartened and hopeful. Have you met people like that? Wonderful when you meet them, isn't it? He wasn't worried about his reputation. Uh, he just wanted to do the right thing for God. And he had the most important ability of all. I wonder if we could ever, we'd ever debate if it weren't uh, we all had masks on. What's the most important ability a Christian can have? Warren Wearsby, who recently has died in, last, in fairly recently, he said that the most important ability any Christian can have is this, dependability. <laughs> dependability. So whatever he says he'll do, he does it. Whatever he does, he gives his all to. Whatever the cost. Dependability. So who is he? Well, we first come across his name in Acts chapter 20 and verse 4. Paul is in Ephesus and he has with him seven other believers. They, part of what they were going to do is to deliver an offering to the Gentile, from the Gentile churches to the poor saints in Jerusalem and Judea. And his name? Tychicus. Now, I wouldn't trust my pronunciation of Tychicus. I'm the person who pronounced acacia wood as akakia wood so I definitely would not I may have got it wrong it could be tychicus tychicus whichever you prefer but for me today it will be tychicus and if I'm wrong that's fine tell me at the door and I'm happy to take any corrections it's not a problem so here he is tychicus and there is a man ladies I, I really do think the things that we're talking about being prepared to take place second fiddle not focusing yourself, being servant-hearted. That crosses all male and female, doesn't it? It's about all of us, that. So when we read about him, we read about him in, at the beginning of Paul, well, fairly well in terms of Acts 20, towards the beginning of Paul's ministry. But interesting, we meet him again in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, where Paul is in prison. Now Paul has many enemies, he's in prison in Rome, this is his last letter, he faces execution. So Paul is facing execution and yet Timothy is still with him. Imagine Paul had many enemies, many enemies, those in Rome, those who were of a different faith and those who challenged him, those whose faith he came out from, he had many enemies. And Paul 
still had Tychicus as a friend. He was able to take the stigma of being Paul's friend and he stuck with his brother Paul and did many, many jobs for him. He travelled many thousands of miles taking letters. Um, he was a postman effectively and he was happy to be a postman. But it wasn't a matter of walk down to the post box, was <laughs> it? Walk over to Colossae, take the letter, post the letter, deliver the letter, talk to the people in Colossae. And he wouldn't reject it. He would be happy to do that because he was a servant. And it wasn't about him. It was about the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the point. He was with Paul early on in his ministry. He was with Paul right at the end of his ministry. And he took all the kickbacks and all the criticism and all the hammerings, in one sense, that Paul had. He was happy to stand by him. So from first to last, Paul could rely on Tychicus. From first to last, we need to be able to say other Christians can rely on us. Our strength is within us, so we are going to serve and be servant-hearted. And be like Tychicus. There is one story which is more of a cloak and dagger story which you probably know very well. But Tychicus is involved in this as well. It's the story of Onesimus, the slave. And you probably remember that uh, Onesimus as a slave stole from his owner Philemon. And in stealing from Philemon, he made a tragic error, not only in stealing but also in, uh, in the fact that any, any owner of a slave, as Philemon was, with Onesimus, could do any brutal thing they ever wanted to, to anyone who'd, uh, who was a slave and who'd uh, been crim done criminal things towards their master. Anything they wanted to do, they were justified in Roman law to do. The penalties could be awesome. Well, Onesimus, you know, ran away and ended up in Rome of all places. And in some remarkable way, he became a Christian, met Paul. And, uh, and here is a man now, Onesimus, who had been a thief, who now is forgiven and cleansed and has met Paul. And Paul wants Onesimus to be reconciled to Philemon. So they become one again. And that Philemon forgives Onesimus. Onesimus accepts forgiveness and trusts Philemon that he's not going to do brutal and horrible things to him. And so Paul says, going to t I need to send Onesimus back to Philemon. So who does he choose to take Onesimus back? Tychicus. And that's exactly what happens. Tychicus and, and Onesimus go back to Philemon. And, uh, Paul no, and Paul is given a letter that Philemon has to receive from Paul, urging him. And we've got it in Scripture there, and you know it's in your New Testament there. And that letter is extant today for us to read. It's a wonderful letter. But you can imagine, I, <laughs> I can imagine, anyway, imagine on the way back, Onesimus talking to Tychicus, we've come far enough now. Tychicus. This is, I mean, what if he doesn't forgive me? What if he, he decides to exact any, any uh, punishment on me that I rightly deserve because I did steal from him? What will I do? <laughs> Tychicus saying, don't worry. 
trust God, I've, I've got the letter and the Lord Jesus has forgiven you hasn't he and, and so will uh, Philemon because he's now a Christian too and he will forgive you and so Onesimus arrives back with Philemon and there's unity there's reconciliation there's oneness and who is it that does all that? Tychicus is one of the instruments God uses to take him back. Tychicus then is from beginning to end reliable. Tychicus is prepared to take on difficult jobs, to face up challenging situations, but he still does it. But there is something told us here in this passage and in uh, Colossians chapter 4 which really is for me is really helpful and if you have your Bibles just make sure you look at this little passage now and focus on it because there are three things said about Tychicus and here they are Tychicus first of all it says is a beloved brother a faithful minister a fellow servant in the Lord three things a beloved brother a faithful minister a fellow servant in the Lord just to look briefly at those three things this is what Tychicus makes Tychicus and makes him stand out for me again in, in, uh, and really underscores the sort of things we've been saying about him so far he's a beloved brother first of all he's a brother so he loves the Lord Jesus he's forgiven and like every person who's a Christian they're forgiven and we become part of a family and we have brothers and sisters. I don't have any brothers or sisters. Uh, neither does my wife. So well, we have three sons, but no brothers or sisters. It's a wonderful thing when we both became Christians to find out that didn't we just have brothers, a few brothers and sisters? We've got thousands of them, millions of them all around the world. And when you travel and meet them, wherever you meet them, there's this unity of uh, spirit. So we've been to India a few times, as some of you know, and we've met brothers and sisters in India. And the unity that you know with brothers and sisters, and there's a genuine, close relationship, a family relationship. Well, so Tychius is a brother, but he's a beloved brother. So what does that mean? Well, I, I think it means this. He's loved and loving. He's loved and loving and we cannot underestimate the power of love the power of selfless love the power that reflects the love of the Lord Jesus Christ he's cared for by God and he knows he's cared for by God he walks thousands of miles in treacherous conditions he crosses dangerous seas he goes down dangerous alleys but in all of those things he knows that God will never leave him, never forsake him. And that promise is given to you and to me, whatever we face. So he's loved and he knows it. But he's also caring and loving. He cares about other people. He puts himself last. There's an old little saying, joy. Have you ever come across this? Jesus first, others second, yourself last, joy. To live a life of joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. He knew the Father, he knew the Son, and he knew the Holy Spirit. 
And he was sent by Paul to encourage other Christians, to comfort other Christians, and to help others. That's what he says in this passage uh, that we read, verse 8 of chapter 4. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstance and comfort your hearts. Imagine you've got someone right by you who you can send to a place that he knows very little about really, and may some but not a lot about, and he'll go there and he will then comfort other people. Why? Because he knows the comfort himself of the Lord. So he's a beloved brother. He's loved and he's loving and he's deeply caring. And if you meet him, you'd know that he's deeply caring about you. Secondly, is this a faithful minister? A faithful minister. Takes us back to some of the things we've already said about him. He's reliable. He's trusty, trusting, trustworthy. He's a faithful minister. He gets jobs done. No fuss. He, when he uh, welcomes people to his, uh, when we welcomed home by uh, our Heavenly Father, and one day we meet him face to face, what does he say? Well, we hope will be those wonderful words. Well done, now good and faithful servant. It's no small thing to be faithful. It's a wonderful thing. See, it's not success in the world's terms. It's not beauty in the world's terms. It's not having the right, well, I can't say colour hair or whatever. It's not having all the things that the right labels on you. It's not all those things, is it? It's the beauty of faithfulness. The beauty of being reliable. The beauty of godly uh, characteristics in our lives. Well done, our good and faithful servant. He's a faithful minister. He has a role to play, a ministry to do, and he sticks with that and he does what he's required to do. He doesn't do the things he's not asked to do. <laughs> there are things that I definitely can't do. Uh, we had our grandchildren with us uh, for a few, uh, a few days last week. And uh, one of them, one of the girls, is getting older now. She's, al she's almost 10. And she was helping clear up after the boys. And she's quietly said, why is it that boys can't tidy up? <laughs> there are things that you're made for and some of these, well, they should tidy up. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm simply saying there are things that some of us, strengths that some of us have, weaknesses. And God doesn't ask us to minister in ways that you can't minister. I'm useless at certain things, really, really useless. But God in his kindness helps me to work at those and to use whatever things I can do. I want to be faithful to minister in whatever ways he wants me to. Not in my weaknesses, because that's not much use to anyone, but whatever I can do to do it. And that's what God wants from you, to be a faithful minister, to be a helper, to be whatever you can do, do it. <laughs> small though it might be, you know, small. Yeah, I, I remember one very uh, well-known preacher uh, telling me that he used to write, just get a little uh, card, like a postcard size thing, and all he'd do is write to his relatives, and he has plenty of them. He'd just send it's their birthday, or maybe twice a year, he'd just send a, a card to them. And all he'd be saying is, love, love you, caring for you, how are you getting on, glad to hear you did well, just a little card. And he said loads of his relatives, they kept the cards over the years. Small things, isn't it? It's not a big thing, is it? But it's, it's showing people you love them, you care for them. It's being faithful in the little things. And what does scripture say? If you're faithful in the small and little things, God will make you 
give you bigger things. Faithful in the little things, doing what we can do, not worrying about the things we can't do. And then thirdly, he's a fellow servant. He's a fellow servant. We've talked about being servant-hearted. We've talked about uh, following the example, really, of the Lord Jesus who was prepared to wash the disciples' feet. I guess he's the sort of brother who'd pick up the litter today. <laughs> I guess he's the sort of brother who would turn up in church and just do some of the little jobs no one else does. And you've lost one of the people I know recently who did so much in the church physically. He's a God, he's a person who'd do the small things. I became a Christian through a chap called Werner Wright. And he was, uh, his job ultimately was a prof in Leeds University. And uh, he invented with a team, a cross-departmental cross, uh, uh, team, he invented the first artificial knee joint. He was a world authority on uh, rheumatism. And, uh, and he was once uh, in a conference in, in Russia. And, uh, and every Friday night he had a youth group in his house. And he had a choice of which aeroplane to take, the one that would come direct back to Leeds, where he was, or one which would, and that would be no stopping, you know, just straight into Leeds. But if he took that one, he'd be late. He wouldn't make it to the youth group. So which one did he took an aeroplane that landed in a couple of places and eventually got to Leeds, but it, that way he would get early enough to be able to get to the youth group, set the chairs out, and be ready for the young people when they came. For all of the, uh, the success he'd had in his academic life, in his medical life, he was a servant-hearted person. He did beach mission every year, and I understand the only thing he ever asked for was butter, not margarine, which isn't bad for someone like him. He'd sleep on the floor with the rest of the team. A servant heart. A fellow servant. He was a team person, a fellow servant. He was a team man. It wasn't all about him. It was about him working with people, a fellow servant. He didn't look for praise for himself. He simply wanted to serve and serve with others and see others blessed and others grow and others become fulfilled. So if you were to choose a word to describe Tychicus, I wonder what it might be. I'd have a word, and uh, I'm not sure you would go with me on it, but here's the word I would choose. I'd say beautiful. Because I've met quite a few Tychicuses in my time. And I think there are a fair number here too. Male and female. I don't know what you'd call a female Tychicus, but whatever. <laughs> It's a wonderful thing to meet people who are sold out for God and servants. And it's not about them. They simply want to serve. And it's beautiful to see. And if you're asking me that we do need revival in our churches in Wales, don't we? We desperately want to pray for revival. We want to pray for each other. We want to pray for God to, to raise people up and see people become Christians. All those things we want. But we also desperately need people like this men and women who are 
beloved brothers and sisters, faithful ministers and fellow servants. But there's a reason he's beautiful. It's because his, uh, what he's like is a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just read you a few things that were written by Stuart Olliot about the Lord and which blessed and encouraged me, so I'll just share them with you. He said this, Instinctively, we do not class Jesus with others. When one reads his name in a list beginning with Confucius and ending with Goethe, we feel it, we feel it an offence less against orthodoxy than against decency. Jesus is not one of a group of the world's great. Talk about Alexander the Great, and Charles the Great, and Napoleon the Great, if you will. Jesus is a part. He is not the great. He is the only. He is simply Jesus. He says this, uh, Jesus displayed perfection at every stage of his life, in every circumstance. He did this not by hiding in an ivory tower, but by mixing freely and naturally with the ordinary people who were all around him. Yes, even with those who were regarded as dregs of society. The sheer ordinariness of Christ was, to many people of his time, a considerable obstacle. To them, he was nothing more than the carpenter's son from the despised northern village of Nazareth. Because he walked through life without pomp or show, they never looked at him closely. Self-obsessed and blinded by sinful and shallow thinking, they simply could not see his moral grandeur and his divine glory. For those who had eyes to see, everything was different. And this is the case today. The character of our Lord stands out as faultlessly perfect. As time goes by, we become aware of the strengths and weaknesses of every person we get to know. What were Jesus' strong points? What were his weak ones? These are questions that are impossible to answer. Yes, he was and is, quite simply, without flaw or contradiction. He's beautiful. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only. And so, he is beautiful, thank you, because he reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. So I go back to my initial question, what do you want to be, as it were, as you get older? What do you want to really want to be? Who do you really want to be like? Because character trumps everything. Trumps beauty, trumps success, trumps everything else. Because for us, we can create lots of idols. Someone said this, uh, I think Calvin said this, uh, that our hearts can create all sorts of idols. They're a perpetual idol factory. Idols that we look up to, idols that we worship, idols that we want to be like. But character, the character that we have trumps everything. We can't do it by ourselves. We simply have to do it in God's strength. Now some people, this is an aside, you might want to ignore this a little bit, but uh, just some people would be saying this, but that's so soft in a hard world. You want us to be those three things, to be a faithful minister, or sorry, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. That's what you want us to be, those things, you're encouraged, that's fine, but this is a hard world. Out there, you'd just be an idiot to be living like that. 
Well, it's quite interesting, and there's some hard-edged research being done, not by Christians, incidentally, about who are the sort of people that others will follow. This has nothing to do with Bible. It's not a quote from the Bible. It's simply hard-edged research. And what they say is simply this, that there are about 30 different things you can be which will inspire others to follow. And they are things like the things we've talked about, uh, being selfless, being kind, being generous, being interested in others. And that's their list. Uh, it goes on and on. Uh, but what the good news was that uh, they said that if you have two or three of these things, just two or three, that's enough for people to be inspired to follow. Just two or three. And they call it centeredness. So you are what you are consistently. Not up and down, one day like this and another day like that. Folk won't follow that sort of person, but they're inspired by people who are consistent, servant-hearted, ministers, beloved, loving, caring. So it's not so dumb to be like this. In fact, it's wise. And scripture is encouraging us to be just like this. Uh, I learned a new word recently in Welsh. I'm learning Welsh and uh, at least trying in my old age. And the word was dalati. Keep going. Keep going. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to pray and to long to be more and more like the Lord Jesus, more and more in the, with the characteristics that uh, we've read something about and looked at uh, as we've seen Tychicus. And I'd also encourage you to, I don't know how you do, whether you do it, but uh, I know people who keep a, a, a journal, and in the journal they write down each day how they're getting on, what they've learned from God. I know one person who keeps a journal and uh, every prayer they pray is kept in there, and every time God answers a prayer, this lady highlights the prayer that's been answered. And so there are books and books from years and years, and you turn over every page, and they're all highlighted, because God's answered all those prayers. It's a remarkable thing. Not necessarily straight away, maybe years on, that God answers those prayers. But to keep a record, too, of how am I getting on spiritually. And there's a very simple way you could do it, is just to write down these three things, and do some self-examination. How much am I a beloved brother or sister? How am I getting on? Uh, how am I getting on in terms of being a faithful minister and all the things that God wants me to do, small and great? How am I in terms of being a fellow servant? Just write them down and follow them week by week and see how you get on. It's interesting that uh, George Whitfield, a very great preacher you probably know so much about in uh, many years gone by, said this, Give me deep humility a well-guided zeal, a burning love, and a single eye, and then let men or devils do their worst. He took some of those things that we saw, we see in uh, Tychius, and he put them into another format. Here they are. Give me a deep humility, a well-guided zeal, a burning love, and a single eye, and then let men or devils do their worst. And we can ask ourselves simple questions like this. Give me a deep humility. Have I looked down on anyone? Have I been too stung by criticism? Have I felt snubbed and ignored? Then think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about his humility. Think about his being stubbed, snubbed and ignored. Think about him taking criticism. Focus on him. Deep humility. A well-guided zeal. Have I avoided tasks or people who I know I should face? 
Have I been anxious and worried in a wrong sort of way? Have I failed to be circumspect or have I been rash or compulsive? Think about the Lord Jesus Christ and how his zeal and how he lived. Or a burning love, have I spoken or thought unkindly of anyone? Am I justifying myself by making other people look what they're really not? Have I been self-absorbed, indifferent or inattentive to people? Look to the Lord Jesus Christ and see that burning love. Or a single eye, am I doing what uh, I do for God's glory and the good of others? Or am I being driven by freaks, need for approval? love for comfort and ease, need to control, hunger for acclaim and power for fear over other people. Power or fear of other people. Am I looking to anyone with envy? It's an interesting way of just starting to ask yourself, how am I getting on spiritually? How am I comparing with the Lord Jesus Christ and with those things that uh, he is? And if you want to take it any further, two people who've helped me, Alistair Begg, uh, looking at Tychicus and, uh, and some of the questions about self-examination, Timothy, uh, uh, what his name now? A pastor in New York, and he was a pastor in New York, and uh, he is, without any doubt, those two people have been extremely helpful in uh, thinking some of these things through. So finally, here's the question, how are you getting on? Spiritually, how are you? What are you longing to be like when you grow up? <laughs> Some of us, certainly me, I've got that long left really, I guess, but what do I want to be in the years that I have left? A beloved brother or sister with a burning love, a faithful minister with a well-guided zeal and a single eye, a fellow servant with a deep humility. What a beautiful thing in, it would be, and it is for many of us already, and, but to meet those people, to be like those people, to long for God to raise up those people in his church in Wales and in the valleys and in churches around the country. Shall we sing our closing hymn? It's a lovely hymn. All my days I will sing a song of gladness. All my days. <laughs>